This is The Big Game, and I'm your host, Justin Hargett. On today's show, I call my friend Blake Mallon, an all-around basketball wizard and fan of the NBA. We talk about Christmas Day basketball, the resurgent Dwayne Wade, Kevin Love's role on the Cavs, and the Miami Heat's 10-point victory over LeBron James and the New Look Cavaliers. Hey, Blake. Hey, what's going on? Uh, Merry NBA Christmas special to you. Oh, you as well. You as well. So my first question is, was this game worth two hours of your Christmas day? That's a good question. If it were the only game on television, I feel like the answer would be yes. But there, I think there are a lot of really good games on TV uh, this Christmas. Did you watch uh, the two earlier games? Did you watch that terrible Knicks-Wizards game? Uh, no, I couldn't bring myself to watch that game. You're, um, you're a better person for it. <laughs> yeah, the the Knicks are horribly, horribly frustrating. Um, I did watch some of the Spurs game, uh, and that was entertaining, I think, mostly just because it's the Spurs. You know, it's always fun to see Russell Westbrook and the Thunder play. Um, and then tonight, I think, you know, another big ticket game, obviously, is the 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 Warriors Clippers game. Yeah, I was you know as I was kind of looking at the NBA schedule and I was trying to pick out the big game of the week on it and I was like, man, this is kind of like, on the one hand it's super stacked and on the other hand you know Kevin Durant is out of the Oklahoma City game, uh, Kobe's not playing in the Lakers game, the Knicks are on TV, mm-hmm. uh, and the best game might be 10:30 uh, p.m. on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it's a little bit disappointing in that sense and especially with Anderson Vergeau going out for the year, you know mm-hmm. now the Cavs basically have nobody rebounding the ball uh, Mm -hmm. and almost nobody playing defense. So this game was, it was a lot of hype and I'm not sure it actually lived up to the hype. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the flip side to that though, is that, you know, players getting injured is just a part of the, a part of the game and it's a part of the planning process for good teams, I think. And so while it can be less interesting or less fun, maybe to watch a team where like an Anderson Vergeau is injured, um, you know, that's what's going to happen in the playoffs. And it's likely what's going to happen in the finals. Someone's not going to be around or someone's not going to be a hundred percent in a lot of cases. So, you know, while it's not as exciting, it's, it's still nonetheless sort of realistic and what you can expect of the future, I think. Yeah, for sure. So uh, what surprised you most about this game? I think what surprised me the most is how much I enjoyed watching Dwayne Wade play. Like, I think that seeing Miami play for the last two years, you kind of got flashes of it. And, you know, obviously when he was healthy, he's great. But when he's healthy and he's the primary scorer on a team, like, you kind of, you're reminded of how fantastic of a player he is and how exciting he is. He's not just good. He's just one of those players that's kind of electrifying and does stuff that you you can't you don't really expect someone to be able to do. So seeing him in those first couple quarters, especially when he was sort of shooting the lights out, was really was really fun. Yeah, there was a moment about 10 minutes into the first quarter where I don't know who put the shot up, but Dwayne Wade just like crashed the paint and went up for like a nasty putback jam. And yeah. I, you know, I made a note of that cuz I'm like that is definitely probably the highlight for me of the game just because there wasn't a lot more to it in the game that was just very interesting to watch. Yeah. Yeah, and he's got this kind of like nasty way of of having a defender tight on him and like shooting a fadeaway turnaround or something like that. And I feel like maybe in his older age, his like legs have given out. Those shots are harder to hit. But just he does that better than anybody else. So yeah, he looked unstoppable in that first half. I think he scored 24 points. He was 10 for 16 shooting. And, you know, LeBron, like, missed half of his free throws. He had yeah. one easy layup, I think one jump shot in the first half. Um, it was, you know, kind of a an interesting uh, look at the two guys that made up last year's, you know, NBA final runner-up. 
Yeah. No, it, 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 you know, whenever you see that, it's like, it puts you back in that place, you know, whatever year it was four years ago when LeBron came to Miami. And I, you know, that was who LeBron, who uh, Dwayne Wade was, you know, it was like, you know, this, this, you know, LeBron, this one unstoppable player, unstoppable player joining the other unstoppable player. Um, and so it was just cool to see that again. What did you think about the standing ovation that LeBron got after the, uh, the video that they kept talking about that we couldn't actually see? Yeah, no, that was sort of, it was a little less impactful, I think, because you didn't get to see the video. Well, I, you know, was, Mike Miller got one instead of James Jones. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, good for them, I suppose. But, <laughs> I, I, you know, I think that uh, it's cool that they applauded them. I think it's always better than, like, fans being petty, especially Miami fans who sort of have a bad rap. Um, but at the same time, like, they made so much of that, you know? Like, I remember even at the beginning of the game, the announcers um, were, were, you know, sort of voicing their disappointment that the that the fans didn't sort of or the announcer that there wasn't uh, they, a riot they didn't like linger on on the on the cheers for lebron it was just that there's so much was made of how the crowd reacted to him it was kind of seemed a little bit over the top but yeah i think this game was a lot of hype and you know it was a good basketball game and it was kind of fun to watch and it was it would have been better if the Cavs had kind of kept the run that they had going in the like the end of that third quarter and the beginning mm-hmm. of the fourth quarter they mm-hmm. just you know as i think there was a point in the fourth where uh, Kyrie Irving hits a long two to go to get the Cavs within one point, and then LeBron James gets them to go ahead on that dunk, and then he gets called uh, the technical, uh, mm-hmm. and that was kind of like the moment where it all started to go back downhill again. Like after that, that was like the apex of where the Cavs were going to get in that game. Yeah, yeah, no, and I think what's interesting about that too is that you know, I think the promise of a player like LeBron, who's you know, you know, top two in the league, best in the league, like. I think the expectation almost is sometimes is that like, well, if you if the team can get them in that position where they're making a run late in the game, the game is close that like the LeBron effect will take them home or he'll be able to take the games over. And I wonder like, is he choosing not to take the games over? Does he not feel capable of taking those games over? Is that an unrealistic expectation? Um, Cause you know, they, they are playing with, you know, basically the best player in the game, one of the best players of all time in his prime, like, what better position could you ask for than to be close late in the game? Yeah, and, and you know, I think that's that was kind of like what happened throughout the entire game is that every time I expected him, them like for the Cavs to run a play for LeBron to get open and take a jump shot, it just didn't happen. Like he would drive to the basket and get fouled, and you know mm-hmm. that's all well and good most of the time. But there was just no rhythm to the Cavs' offense, mm-hmm. and the only time I saw LeBron like kind of take charge was like in the last minute and a half when he took two like 28 foot three pointers and he made one but then he missed the other and at that point they were down nine yeah and it's like if you're going to take over the game maybe start you know the beginning of the fourth quarter if you remember last year the conventional wisdom i think to guarding lebron in the playoffs was give him that 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 three-pointer give him that sort of deep jump shot because basically everything else is 10 times deadlier and it seems like he's kind of settling for that at this point yeah which is a bit confusing and you know, again, I don't, I haven't watched Cleveland play a ton, ton this year. But I'm every time I watch them, I'm surprised at how often he or someone else on that team comes down and shoots an early, an early, you know, deep two or three point shot. Yeah, and you know, I was thinking like Kyrie Irving is the looks like the best player on this team right now, and I don't know if that's true. But when he doesn't have the ball and he's not making a jump shot, and you know, LeBron is kind of you know double teamed and triple teamed, and, and nothing is really happening. 
and the ball goes out to Sean Marion. I think I saw him miss four three pointers at key moments or Kevin Love. Mm. You know, he had a couple of good moments and I think he got maybe like fifteen points, five rebounds. But like what is Kevin Love doing on this team and what do the Cavs need to do to get above like either the fifth seed in the playoffs or to make it, you know, to the Eastern Conference Finals? Yeah, I mean I think you know, on the Kevin Love subject, it seems like they're not really running an offense to get him going or making him a central part of it. And I feel like you hear a lot of people talk about teams in sort of the early stages of figuring out their rhythm. And I think I've heard people say, well, he has to find his place in the offense, but it seems like it's the offense's job to find a place for him. You know, he's a big ticket player. I'm surprised that they're not trying to work him in better um, or sort of in a more formalized manner. I guess the other thing I would say is that they're still not a, I mean, they have a lot of talent and, you know, it's a very small number of players, but like they don't have a really, really talented supporting cast quite yet, especially with Anderson Verjao being out. So, I mean, I think that's tough too. Yeah, I saw Dion Waiters take a lot of shots. Yeah. Uh, and I'm looking at the stats now. I think he was three for eight, one for four from three. And like, it just seemed like, why, like, why is he taking these shots? Like, why isn't the ball moving around and maybe getting to somebody that, you know, either Mike Miller, like, I feel like Mike Miller came on in the third, fourth quarter and was like finally making some shots. Uh, but, you know, wh- where was the ball movement in the first half? Yeah, th- that's the thing. I-, I feel like the ball movement from that team, it, and again, maybe it's just a total misreading because I'm not an expert, you know, by any stretch, but like, it seems like they're not running an offensive system that is conducive to ball movement. It seems like they have a bunch of really talented wing players who are, who are adept at sort of moving the ball and at their best do it really well. Does that make sense? Like it doesn't seem like the system is encouraging that type of play. Yeah, totally. Do you think that comes down to the coach, David Blatt? Um, you know, I'm really not sure. I, I'd like to think that it's, there's so many pressures going on in a situation like that. I don't know what kind of message they've gotten from the front office or what kind of message LeBron has given. You never really know. Um, like, he might be doing everything in his control to implement the system he wants, you know? Right. Um, it's not like an ordinary team. It's not like if someone started coaching the Jazz and we're <laughs> like, okay, I'm, I'm implementing my system here. You know, there's there's much more going on. So I'm not really sure. Or, uh, or if you're Derek Fisher, I'm in, implementing yeah. Phil Jackson's system here. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, so of these two teams, who do you think is going to make it the farthest in the playoffs? I would imagine... I would have to just say the Cavs. I think I think they're both in similar positions that when they lose key players, they they don't really have a system to back up the team, and they don't really have bench players who are you know suitable for backing up those starters. Like Aaron Verge out going down, they don't really have a good replacement. The Heat don't really have a good replacement for Chris Bosh. But at the end of the day, I think uh, the talent level on Cleveland is just so much better than than Miami. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I think. Somehow LeBron's going to, I mean, you know, he willed some terrible Cavs teams to the Eastern Conference Finals, yeah. uh, you know, on his first run. Uh, so I think it's just going to be a matter of time. And, like, as you know, as much as I don't think Kevin Love is fitting in now, I can't imagine the entire season goes by without him, you know, exploding and having some, you know, really great games and some really great highlights. So I think, yeah, they'll probably get it together. And, you know, the Heat don't have a, a real good record right now. Um, <clears throat> but then again, the East is not that tough. And I think the top three teams are uh, Toronto, Washington, and Atlanta, uh, which is just kind of the craziest thing I thought I would ever say about, you know, the first place teams in the NBA East. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that um, a part of that is also has to do with the fact that some of those teams were so poor in recent history. But at the end of the day, like Toronto and, you know, Atlanta, they have really excellent rosters. You know, they have some really, really talented players on those teams. So I don't think they'd be able to hang in the West quite as well, but I think they're also pretty decent teams. So I know we mentioned the LeBron technical. Uh, What did you think of that? I hated that. You know, I was sitting here watching the game at home, and I sort of shouted to my girlfriend after they called the foul how ridiculous that was because you have a bunch of people sitting at home on Christmas trying to watch some sports to entertain them uh, while they have nothing else to do, and you have the best uh, NBA player in the league, one of the greatest athletes in the world, you know, dunking the ball and hanging on the rim and doing something exciting, and then you get a technical for it. It just seems so out of place and not in the spirit of what the game is all about. So that really, really frustrates me. I think that that foul is really silly. It was a strange call for me. Like, I I feel like that was one that was, like, sitting in the ref's pocket the whole game, and he was just waiting for a moment, uh, you know, because of the hype and kind of because of the energy and LeBron coming back to Miami, you know, just to kind of, like, not to show him up, but just, like, I have a feeling that was, like, a predetermined foul that was going to be called, whether it was, like, hanging on the rim or, uh, you know, an aggressive defensive play or something, like, I thought it was in the works the whole time, and it, and it yeah, it was pretty well, disappointing I, I def- to see. I definitely feel like sometimes, you know, that referees have certain fouls that they call to sort of keep the rhythm of the game moving in a direction that they think is best. And, you know, like you were saying, when, it, when the, a game seems like it's going to be super hyped and super high energy, you know, things like calling a technical for hanging on the rim is an easy way to get people to cool down and sort of focus on the game. It seems like the Cavs should have been able to pull that game out. Yeah. Like the mat, like I, I know that there were really bad defensive matchups, but like neither team was playing particularly good defense. You know, I mean, I guess somebody was. You know, I think at the end of the game, Dwayne Wade was giving Luol Dang a lot of credit for guarding LeBron James, but LeBron James went went off. He had a great game. You know, yeah. um, so it's not like anybody was really paying playing terrific defense. Um, and there were a bunch of turnovers in the game. It just seems like you have Kevin Love, Kyrie Irving, and LeBron James. How do you lose that game? Yeah, no, the the Cavs look to me like, you know, as soon as they get into the playoffs and they play a team like the Spurs or they play, you know, a team like the 2009 Boston Celtics, like, or, you know, the the early 2000s Detroit Pistons, somebody that's just going to, like, shut them down on defense, they're, I think they're going to fold. And I don't know how they're going to get out of that, especially without, you know, a big man. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and I think that, like, when you look at what, Miami was when they came together. You had, you know, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosch. And and each of them, I think, were in really, really different positions in their careers than Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving are. Like, Dwayne Wade had won a championship. He had established himself far and away as one of the best players in the league. Chris Bosch had been scoring, you know, 20 plus points, 10 plus rebounds a game in Toronto for a long time. Like, there was no real ambiguity about who they were as players. And I think that they had had to rely on themselves for a really long time. And it's not to say that Kevin Love and Kyrie, you know, Kyrie hasn't been around that long, and it's not to say Kevin Love hasn't been around for a while. But, like, I just, I wouldn't say that, you know, from sort of a basketball IQ level that either Kyrie or Kevin Love match up to Chris Bosh or right. or Dwayne Wade. So right. if they're going to try to institute this type of offense that's so free-flowing and not based on, you know, running plays or whatever the case may be. And again, maybe that's a misreading for me, but it seems like they didn't run a ton of plays. Like, do they have the right players for that? I know LeBron's the right guy for that, but like, yeah, it's a really good point. You know? So 
it's tough. Maybe it is a coaching thing. I, I honestly don't know what the situation is there as far as who's calling the shots, you know, but it's frustrating to see that much talent on a team that doesn't really seem to have well, much of in a, as good a of a game as Kyrie Irving had today, it was an interest, interesting juxtaposition of having John Wall play at noon because John Wall slayed the Knicks. And, yeah. you know, he, he shot the lights out. He got a bunch of assists. And there was one moment where, like, he jumped up for a layup and then he spun the other way, like, right around the defender. It was insane. And, you know, Kyrie Irving had a really good game. But then you kind of compare it to what John Wall did, you know, granted against a terrible Knicks defense. Um, and you kind of think, like, what the Cavs might be if they either, you know, fix the offense in, in some capacity mm-hmm. or, 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 I don't know, just get get other players involved so that maybe the point guard can do a little bit more of that or get him assisting more or, you right. know, getting guys to set screens so that LeBron can actually you know, take a, a, a good, clear jump shot instead of driving to the lane with three defenders. Yeah, for sure. And, and again, I think it sort of goes back to something you were saying earlier. It's like, you know, with, 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 um, with Washington, it's like John Wall sort of taking a game over and getting to the rim over and over again or sort of being explosive in the way he can be. You know, it leads to something. It leads to Bradley Beal being open for a corner three. It leads to, you know, double teams for an A to get open or whatever the case may be. Um, but it seems like in Cleveland, like, I don't know necessarily how to articulate the clearest way, but it doesn't seem like that isolation style basketball with the really talented players they have on Cleveland, like, it doesn't lead to anything, you know? Or, like, you never see Kevin Love get the ball, you know, under the basket and go to work with his back to the basket. Like, you never see that, yeah, you definitely. know? And so you, you'd imagine that would be able to open up some of the other players, or, or, or it seems like LeBron doesn't play in the post very much. So it's just, it's, it's unclear, like, what the end is, you know? Absolutely. So, all right. So I'm just gonna close out with what was like my favorite moment from the game. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe my favorite unusual moment. But there was a period in the third quarter, towards the end, uh, where you know the Heat have just got like two, uh, two great offensive rebounds and like putback baskets, and LeBron just like stops and looks, and I can't remember who he's yelling at. But he was just yelling, box out, box mm-hmm. out, box out. And it was, like, the most animated I had seen him in the entire game. And I don't know if there's just, like, something I hold dear about boxing out because it's so simple and it's the one thing I can do on a basketball court. But I, it was just kind of great to see him kind of, like, rip into somebody over, like, elementary, you know, basketball 101. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I, I think I think that seems totally fair. I, you know, I suppose it's his role on the team to do that. Um but at the same time, you know, I wonder what it's like bringing a guy, Kevin Love, into a system like that, who you know doesn't play defense um, and, you know, get frustrated by the fact that he's not playing defense. Do you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> yeah. like, or, 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 you know, you could say the same thing about, you know, uh, trading all of your assets for Carmelo Anthony and then getting mad that he doesn't play defense. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and also, like, who's yelling at, Bron, at LeBron to be like, take over the game, take over the game? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, I think I would have liked to have seen that. That'll be a good one. Yeah. All right, dude. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Of course. Thanks for having me. All right. Hey, if you're new to the podcast, and you must be since this is episode one, take a second to subscribe on iTunes. See you next week. <laughs>